The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. For the final time, we turn to Ecclesiastes. We wrap up the book of Ecclesiastes. We're looking at Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14 this afternoon. Ecclesiastes 9, or Ecclesiastes 12, rather, verses 9 through 14. Let's give our attention now to God Himself speaking to us in His holy and inspired Word. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This concludes the reading of God's Word. May He now be pleased to add His blessing to it. Have you ever been to a doctor that you were told is the answer to your problem? You've heard really good things about this doctor. Everyone tells you this doctor is really going to be able to help you. And he's the exact expert in the area in which you're having a problem only to go to him and be sorely disappointed that he could in no way help you. Well, in a sense, this is what we have in the book of Ecclesiastes. We have the wisest of men who have ever lived on the earth, except for Christ, tell us that he can't help us, essentially. He starts out the book with vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and he ends the book with vanity of vanities, all is vanity, not arriving at a solution. But then we read this appendix, or about the author section here at the end of the book, if you will. And it says that this preacher, Solomon, is very wise, a very great teacher. And this makes us go, if he is so very wise, why did he not provide the solution to the greatest problem, which is the sin-cursed world. Moreover, it's quite possible that someone other than Solomon is writing this section at the end, because it's not in the first person like it was at the beginning, where it says in Ecclesiastes 1.12, I, the preacher, have been king over Jerusalem. But here it talks about the preacher in the third person. Also, it seems kind of braggadocious to speak this way of yourself. Let me write something at the end. I, the preacher, is very wise. I mean, how would you like me to write something? You know, put something on the website about yourself. Doug sends me something to put on the website. Okay, I am a great preacher. I'm very wise. It seems very braggadocious. So it's likely that somebody else here is speaking about uh, the preacher, kind of similar to. Proverbs 25 and following, where Hezekiah's men 
took what was written or added things to the end of the book, and we have to. We seems like we have something similar here. In any case, this leaves us with a discrepancy. It's like going to the doctor and him not being able to help you, and then the doctor saying, "I'm a very good doctor." Well, how can that be when you haven't helped? And what this is showing us is we need someone greater. We need a greater wisdom. We need someone who can actually bring us a solution. And that's why the book of Ecclesiastes was written. We need a better Solomon. The wisest man on the earth cannot fix this. He begins with vanity of vanities. He ends with vanity of vanities. It has not been fixed. And then he even ends with fear God and keep His commandments. That's the end of all things. But in a sense, is that vanity? Given the context of Ecclesiastes and how we live in a sin-cursed world. Especially when Ecclesiastes says there's not a righteous man on this earth. Well, we'll see. Let's look at, for an outline, two vanities at the end of Ecclesiastes that causes us to long for the end of all vanity. The first is the wisdom of the wisest teacher, and then the second is keeping God's commandments to avoid judgment. Are these things vain? Well, first, the wisdom of the wisest teacher being Solomon. He gives a list of qualifications here, or, or maybe somebody after him gives a list of qualifications. Verse 9, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So he was wise. He had actual and true wisdom. And this wisdom is seen in that he can write Proverbs. A proverb is this pithy statement that becomes a saying, becomes popular, becomes helpful. And I don't think many of us are going to coin a proverb that's going to stick in our time here on earth. Maybe you will. But if you do, that's quite a feat. But to do many of them, as it says here, that's an even greater achievement. And he has done it. And then it says in verse 10 that he sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So he did this not only skillfully, but also beautifully so that you can delight in them. So he's highly skilled and qualified in wisdom. And all greatly benefited from such wisdom. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goats, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So the words of the wise are analogized by two things. Goads and nails firmly fixed. That is, the words of the wise both sting and stabilize. So a, a goad is like this long wooden stick with a metal tip at the end. And it would use to prod and poke cattle away from danger, away from a cliff and uh, towards the right way. Well, God's Word is very much like that. It pricks our conscience. It sometimes tells us things that we don't like to hear. It can be like a two-edged sword that judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It tells us things that are hard to hear that our, the world and our flesh hates. But it pricks and prods in the right direction. This is what wisdom does. This is what Solomon 
has done for us. And it's like nails firmly fixed. Like taking something and nailing it to wood so it's firmly fixed. It, it helps us to be firmly fixed in the right way. And this verse says that all of these wise sayings come from one single shepherd. wonder who that shepherd could be. Well, we'll have to keep wondering as we move on to verse 12. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. He's not saying, do not go beyond these wise sayings of this book. You're not going to find anything else outside of Ecclesiastes. He's not saying that. Neither is he saying, never read any other books or study because it's just too hard and weary. Rather, given the context here of Ecclesiastes addressing this vain life, this verse is telling us, beware of those who tell you something other than what the book of Ecclesiastes is saying. These gurus who come along and say, we have the key to solve the world's problems. And really, that the world is filled with kind of all these these sayings that, and cliches that say things like, there's a better tomorrow. Uh, this too shall pass, which it does, but then the next thing happens. Uh, even uh, when we sing Happy New Year, and I just, I, didn't, I just learned this recently, what this meant. Should all acquaintance be forgot? What does that even, I didn't know what that meant until I looked it up. It's actually uh, the Latin, old lang sine, which means old long sense. So all these things of the past, may they, may they be in the past. So there's this hope for a better tomorrow. Uh, nobody ever says, you know, Happy New Year. Oh, this year's going to be terrible. They say, oh, this is going to be the year. And it never is. But the preacher says, vanity of vanities, all of vanity. Beware of anyone who tells you otherwise. And this reveals, really, the vanity of the wisdom of even the wisest teacher when it comes to putting an end to all vanity, when it comes to that, when it comes to dealing with this sin-cursed world. He gave us wisdom in, okay, how do you live in this sin-cursed world? But as far as it being overcome, his felt short. We need a greater Solomon with a greater wisdom. Now, a second vanity at the end that causes us to long for the end of all vanity is not only one, the, the wisdom of the wisest teacher, if the wisdom of the wisest teacher didn't bring about the deliverance of the sin-cursed world, then no man can, at least no mere man. But a second vanity is keeping God's commandments to avoid judgment. Key there, to avoid judgment. Verse 13, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. So this verse is saying, here's the bottom line. After hearing everything, everything that Ecclesiastes has been talking about here. Two things. Fear God and keep His commandments. Uh, to fear God is to recognize who He is. He's God Almighty. And to live in light of that knowledge. To respond appropriately in thought, word, and deed. And that is why fearing God is inseparably tied to keeping His commandments. Whatever He says we are to do, His Word is the authority and must be obeyed above all else. So this is the bottom line of our life in the sin-cursed vain world. 
This is the conclusion to all has been heard from the preacher. Fear and obey God. And there's two reasons or motivations given. The first reason or motivation is at the end of verse 13. For this is the whole duty of man. This is true. Man's purpose is to glorify God. To manifest and show His greatness. And therefore man's purpose or duty, what he is called to do, his job description. What's your job description as an image bearer? It is to fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. The, the second reason or motivation given here is verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the second reason given is in light of judgment day. Every man must stand before God on judgment day. Every single individual has a court date scheduled court date in the tribunal of God in His presence to be judged by Him and the holy angels. And what will be brought before Him? Well, this verse says, every deed with every secret thing. It's as if when you were born, God had, uh, He hit record on the camera, and then when you die, He hit stop, and then when you stand before Him, He replays it is the way Ecclesiastes is describing it. And when you stand before him, every thought, word, and deed will be played so clearly in high definition that it cannot be possibly denied. All will see it. You will not be able to hide anything. You will not be able to, to lie. You won't be able to assume anything. You won't be able to reframe anything in a different light. There is no fooling, deceiving, or hiding from God. So that's the second motivation given for fearing God and keeping His commandments because He's going to bring every single thing, including secret thing that no other man saw, into judgment. How are you feeling right now? Pretty confident? I think I got this. I, I think I've done pretty well. Or, whew, boy, I better start getting my act together. I better start taking my obedience more seriously so I can stand with my own righteousness before God on Judgment Day. What do you think about having to stand before the infinitely holy God and answer for every single secret thought you have hidden in your heart or every deed of darkness that you have done that God has seen so clearly? You know, one of the things that amazes me is when I, I tell someone that I want to meet with them or do an elder visitation. And sometimes they get scared. You're going to call me to account for something. No, we just want to see how you're doing. Just it's, it's, it's time for just us to interact and to know how to better care for you. But if that's the way people feel before a mere man, how much more before the eternal God? You, can't, you can hide things from us. You cannot hide anything from God. Is the reason for obeying God because you will be judged the solution for sinners? Consider... Ecclesiastes, the sin-cursed world, all is vanity. Here's the end of the matter. 
fear God and obey Him because He's going to judge you for every single thing. Is that the solution here? Or is this too a vain thing? Now obviously fearing God and keeping His commandments is what we are to do. It is a good thing. It is truly our duty and judgment is truly coming. There's only one problem. Ecclesiastes 7.20 Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Oh, and there's another problem. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Not try them, but do them. So unless you have perfectly, personally, perpetually done everything the law requires to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, you are cursed forever. That is the judgment that the Bible speaks of. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all. One sin, that soul dies. In order to stand before God, you need a perfect righteousness or your toast. You can perfectly obey from here on out. You can't, but let's just say you could. But you're still toast because you have already sinned. One sin, you're done. Judgment forever. There is no making up for it. There's no covering it with a better obedience in the future. So there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. And cursed be everyone who sins just once. And our motivation for obeying God is that He's going to bring every secret thing we have done into judgment. This also is vanity for sinners. But this is precisely how we got into the plight we find ourselves in life under the sun. It's because of the sin of the one man, Adam. One sin, and that sin, by the way, is credited to you. As Romans 5 says, because he was our representative, judgment and the curse brought upon us. All of this, though, is God's righteous judgment for that one sin of Adam, everything we read about in Ecclesiastes. So is it truly our obedience that will get us out of this and cause us to stand before God? Again, Ecclesiastes leaves us hanging. The book ends leaving us hanging and longing and looking for the answer, but that is the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. The answer is not found in our obedience to escape God's judgment and curse. Rather, it's found in the obedience of another. And that one man is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who came to fear God and keep His commandments as our representative so that we would stand before God righteous on Judgment Day. We get credit for His fearing God and keeping His commandments. And since we get credit for this righteousness, God treats it as ours. And we get judged on the basis of that perfect righteousness. So there is no secret or hidden sin counted against us. There is no lack of righteousness whatsoever charged against us. 
Because all those secret sins, all those deeds of darkness have already been judged. And they were judged by Christ, by God, placed on Christ on the cross. Our judgment day happened at Calvary, where every secret thing we have done, every hidden sin was brought against Him. And He paid for these in full. And God has testified that this judgment has been satisfied by raising our Lord Jesus from the dead. And this is the answer to our vain life. This is the solution we have been looking for that Solomon by his natural wisdom could not bring about. And so we see the wisdom of God in the gospel. A wisdom that no man has known unless revealed to him in the gospel. And so Jesus is that good shepherd who has revealed to us true wisdom from God. Gospel wisdom that answers the ultimate dilemma of the sin-cursed vain life under the sun. He fulfills the prophecies in Ezekiel about God setting over us one shepherd, King David. He is the true and better Davidic king, the better son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is He the true shepherd, He is also the Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. He has saved us from this vain, sin-cursed world he was not merely prodded with a goad, but pierced through with a spear, a wooden stick with a metal tip, and nails firmly fixed him to the cross. This is the wisdom that we have been looking for. This is the wisdom that the book of Ecclesiastes has been pointing us towards. The book of Ecclesiastes fits in the canon of Scripture. And so it brings out our need for Christ, which is the rest of the canon points us to. Ecclesiastes left us hanging so that we would long for and look for the rest of the story, which the rest of the Scripture gives us. And that answer is redemption in Christ. That answer is the Gospel. The Gospel is what turns vanity of vanities into glory of glories. The gospel alone, beloved, is what puts an end to all vanity. May we be found trusting in Christ and then living for Him, fearing Him, and keeping His commandments. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do ask You would help us from the gospel, from our identity in Christ, from this wisdom found in Christ, this gospel wisdom and wisdom incarnate, to be living for you, not in order to stand before you at judgment day, but because Christ was judged already for us. And as he testifies in John 5, truly, truly, the one who believes in me has passed from death to life. He does not come into judgment. We have been saved forever from your judgment. All the secret things were counted against Christ, and He was judged in our place, and we are clothed in His righteousness. We are so grateful for this love that You have given in giving Your Son. And so out of that love, because You first loved us, may we fear You and keep Your commandments, standing in all of You and living to obey You, even though we know that we won't do it perfectly. But knowing that we are forgiven, clothed, covered, adopted, and loved. From that, 
May we seek to love and serve you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.